1: And young people have stressors that many of us have never had to deal with. Many different factors can contribute to anxiety and depression in our young people. And when it happens, it's no one's fault. The important thing is that depression and anxiety are identified and treated early. And if they're left untreated, they can lead to all kinds of problems, like underachieving at school, misuse of alcohol and drugs, and... Sadly, an increased risk of suicide. Hi, everybody. I'm Connie Bowman. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the weekly podcast about living a whole awesome life in mind, body, and spirit. And today I'm excited to have a new guest with us. Her name is Natalie Moore, she's a holistic psychotherapist in private practice out in Los Angeles. She specializes in helping young adults relieve anxiety naturally through mind-body awareness practices. She's passionate about supporting others on their journey toward healing. And she has an awesome website at awakentheself.com. Thank you so much, Natalie, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for
0: having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, this is a really good subject. You know, a while back I did a podcast with my niece, Jennifer, and it made me cry because one of her very close friends from elementary school or middle school had committed suicide the year prior, and um, Jen was working on a project to sort of honor her memory. And it was just really sad because the kids at school really had no idea that this This friend of theirs was suffering. And I think obviously the parents weren't aware the extent of her suffering as well. So I really am glad that we're talking about this. Can you talk about first before we get into anxiety and depression and young people, tell us what is a holistic psychotherapist?
0: So a holistic psychotherapist is someone who takes an integrative approach to treatment, which means that we look at a lot of different areas of health, not just mental health, but also the physical health of the individual, their spiritual health, and the surrounding context that they live in, like their family, their community, the work that they do, and the society as a whole.
1: Okay. And what is the goal of the treatment? The goal of the
0: treatment is usually to help the person relieve whatever it is that they're suffering from in a natural way. Typically, people who seek help from me are disillusioned by the use of medications, and they want alternative treatments that maybe are not as mainstream in the media or in our culture.
1: Mm, Isn't that true? Yeah, we'll have... We'll have a lot to talk about there.
0: <laughs> Definitely. I think we resonate on a lot of the same things in that regard. For
1: sure, for sure. Does it seem to you like more and more young people are going through depression and anxiety? It does to me.
0: It, it does to me, too. I think that there are so many more stressors these days on kids than there ever has been in the past. I think that The busier and busier that adults get, the busier and busier children get, and it doesn't leave them much space for having fun and just being a kid and taking care of their own needs and desires anymore.
1: Mm, That's true. I was looking for some statistics. I live here in D.C., close to D.C., near the National Institute of Mental Health, where I actually have done a couple of um, acting gigs (laughs) It's pretty interesting. I actually work. you probably heard of him. Norm Rosenthal, the guy who coined seasonal affective disorder. Um, yeah, he researched it. And so he hired or his office at, at NIMH, NIMH. They hired me to be an actor on one of their videos to train people to work with people with depression. So I guess I looked kind of sad. So, but it was cool. (laughs) Listen to this because we shot in his house, which he lives pretty close to me here and we shot in his house and because he suffered from seasonal affective disorder, which as we're talking, it's January and we're getting ready to have a big, big snowstorm. So this is pretty timely. Anyway, he suffered from seasonal affective disorder. And so in his house, he had those lights, those light boxes, all everywhere you sat, you could literally bathe in light. It was pretty cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And what a lot of people don't realize is that's actually a holistic approach to treating that, condition, because if you use those light boxes, you are less likely to need to take antidepressant medications.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I was so fascinated by that job. I I think I talked to him a lot more than I did actual work. So it was just fascinating. But anyway, so I I digress. I was looking for some statistics, and I didn't find it on uh, the National Institute of Mental Health website. But I did find one that said 22% of kids 13 to 18 will experience some form of anxiety and or depression during that period, that's pretty high. Right,
0: especially because those, those research studies typically look at the clinical rates of those of those disorders, but they don't look at the subclinical rates, which is people who are still experiencing anxiety or depressive symptoms just below that threshold of diagnosis. So if you think about it, almost every child is going to experience those in, at some degree during during their childhood.
1: Yeah, yeah. And maybe we can start with anxiety. I guess anxiety and depression are often related, but let's just start with anxiety because, as you say, we all go through some kind of situational anxiety. How do we know what, is, what it is and when it's time to maybe get some help?
0: Okay. It's going to vary a bit for children and adolescents and adults. So I'll speak first to kids because we kind of got off on that foot. If, If you notice that your child begins to complain of somatic symptoms, so something in their body like tummy aches, headaches, some aches and pains that don't seem to be related to any physical issue, and they seem to have excessive worry about things like homework, or they give themselves a really hard time about not getting something in by a deadline or what their teacher will think, then you want to do some more digging, ask some questions, but you don't want to alarm your child. So it helps to go to the school, talk to the teachers, talk to the administrators there, the kids coach, anyone who spends time with them, and find out, are they doing things that look are they, are they expressing behaviors that look to be communicating anxiety, like biting their nails or fidgeting all the time, tapping, doing things like ruminating over a thought over and over again? These are things you want to ask about.
1: Mm. How often is anxiety misdiagnosed uh, for ADHD nowadays?
0: Well, ADHD is one of those diagnoses that tends to come up with a lot of different mental health issues. So a lot of mental health issues cause someone to lose their ability to focus mm-hmm. and cause people to become distracted. And so a lot of people, when they think lack of, lack of concentration and distraction, they often go straight to ADHD. But those are often symptoms of other disorders like depression, anxiety, just feeling unwell in general.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it must be so hard to like come up with a real solid diagnosis. You really have to do some sleuthing. I think it seems like.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a good thing to to let your audience know is that the worst thing you can do is is try to self-diagnose online with WebMD or any of those quizzes because sometimes that just makes you more fearful. It's so important to talk to somebody who's an expert and who knows their stuff and can ask you the proper questions so you can get so you can get the information that you need to get the help that you need.
1: So, teens teens and children, do they necessarily experience symptoms different than than adults would? Do you want to talk about adults and how that that might sure. manifest even though we we really are focusing on young people, but just to talk about the difference a little bit.
0: Sure. The main difference is that the older a... a adult, the older a child, adolescent becomes, and once they come into younger adulthood, they're more able to actually express their feelings more and express their symptoms more clearly. So kids have a hard time expressing their feelings because unfortunately kids are typically not taught to have fluency in speaking about their feelings. Whereas an older teen or a young adult, maybe in college has had some more experience under their belt about how to express their feelings so they can say things like, I keep ruminating about the same thought over and over again, or I have excessive worry about school things, work things. Um, they, can, they can articulate their symptoms more clearly than a child or a young adolescent would be able to.
1: So that's why uh, some children may experience anxiety as a physical symptom, as a stomach ache or a headache or something.
0: Exactly. Like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's their body communicating for them that something's wrong.
1: So if some time goes by and a young person, say someone younger than, say, college age, a teen, maybe 13 to 18, has some symptoms of anxiety and, and nothing is done, what are the dangers of these issues being undiagnosed and treated?
0: You spoke to some of these earlier when you gave the introduction, the scariest one of course is increased rate of suicide anxiety and depression tend to go hand in hand mm-hmm. they co-occur about 60% of the time and so that would be the one to be the most mindful of because if if you notice that there's something wrong with a teen If you don't say anything about it, then you're kind of continuing the silence and you're continuing to add to the stigma of mental health. Whereas if you have an open policy about talking about things that bother you, then there's a much greater likelihood that the teen will open up to you about what's going on. And so you can prevent really terrible ramifications
1: from happening. Mm, Good, good. What constitutes depression then if we've talked about this anxiety will anxiety eventually turn into depression if left untreated
0: it depends on the person some people can have anxiety and it won't turn into depression i think what's important here is is early prevention and noticing it early on so that it doesn't turn into something worse. So some of the things that you can do if you're worried that your teen might be anxious is find out what what is – really provoking their anxiety. Sometimes parents don't realize that a lot of their implicit messages toward their children have to do with succeeding and getting straight A's and going to college and all of these things. And although those are well-intended, it can have huge implications on the kid's ability to self-regulate and feel confident about their abilities. So I would ask parents to really reflect and look inside and find out what what kind of messages are are they giving to their kids that might be contributing to some of this anxiety
1: how about lifestyle nutrition and you know you mentioned uh the crazy busy schedules and um unreasonable expectations what about some of these lifestyle uh things too can you address those you know maybe exercise and diet and and those kinds of things
0: Absolutely. So when it comes to kids, we don't want to use the word diet because that can cause all kinds of other issues which oh, would be a right. great That's, topic for
1: another Absolutely. for yeah. another
0: podcast, but let's I, just use the word nutrition. Right. I was
1: more speaking about the nutri nutritional aspects because you know, okay. a bad a poor diet can can lead to a lot of different problems emotionally physically spiritually so
0: absolutely absolutely it can and so i would recommend that parents of teens and kids or people who don't have children look at their look at their nutrition and and really be compassionate with themselves because it doesn't help if you start beating yourself up about what you're eating but to just start integrating slowly more and more healthful foods leafy greens things that are packed with nutrients because that's going to allow your body to have the ingredients necessary to create the neurotransmitters, which are the chemicals in our brain that allow us to regulate our mood. Mm-hmm. And so about kids, what, what I recommend for parents is if they want to integrate a healthier diet for their children, what I recommend is to make it a family thing so if you tell your child oh you need to start eating this that or the other because there's something wrong with your brain then the kid starts feeling badly about themselves but if you just turn it into a family overhaul and everybody's going to start eating healthier and we're going to start going hiking on the weekends then it takes the stigma away from the child
1: sure yeah and parents can start to meditate and be a good model for their for their kids exactly yeah i'm big into yoga so i think every family should do yoga together So when people, when families come to you, how do you as a holistic psychotherapist help young adults overcome anxiety?
0: What I do is I first have to really get to know their story and find out what it is that that anxiety is trying to achieve. So the anxiety is is not just a symptom to be banished and to make it go away. It's a symbol of something deeper. So sometimes... These days, I'll get young adults coming in, and they're complaining of anxiety. And of course, when you're suffering from something like anxiety, you just want it to go away. You don't really want to listen to its wisdom. You kind of just want to banish it. But I have to help that person understand that in order to overcome it, we have to find out what it's trying to communicate. So I get to know that person more deeply, and what I often find is that anxiety is coming up in this person's life, because there's something about their life that's not working, or that's not fulfilling, or that's not helping them achieve their dreams and a fulfilling life for themselves.
1: Mm, Yeah, and well, gosh, we could all use that at different points in our life. But I guess it's when these things last and extend into you know lengthier periods that we start to worry about them Hmm. right Uh, right what you, you mentioned something deeper and i love that i put that in quotes here what is your philosophy on where anxiety comes from especially when we're talking about our young people and how can can that information inform the treatment that you choose for them
0: Oh, great question. I think that for kids, it comes from the environment that they're living in, starting in the home with the two, with the however many parents this child has, because that is the biggest influence in a child's life. Then it extends out. Think of it as like concentric circles around the child. Then it's probably the kid's school, their teacher, the classmates, the school at large. Than their community, their society, the world, and the more stressors that that child is exposed to in each one of those concentric circles and the closer that stressor is to that child, that's going to that's going to determine how much anxiety that child is experiencing in addition to the child's temperament. So you were born with a certain temperament, mm-hmm. which is basically our our personality that we're born with and some kids are born more resilient to things like anxiety and then some children are born highly sensitive individuals so let's say we have a highly sensitive individual with two anxious parents in a school that's highly highly focused on achievement mm-hmm. and then in a society and a culture that's also um, mm-hmm. really really focused on busyness and getting things done that kid might be predisposed to experiencing some anxiety in their life yeah. Yeah,
1: recipe for disaster right there. (laughs) Right,
0: and then let's look at the opposite. Let's say we have a kid who is more resilient or or who is sensitive but is raised in a home where maybe the parents do experience anxiety but they deal with it in a healthy way like meditating or doing hobbies that they're passionate about, spending time outdoors, and then they're in a school environment that maybe has some focus towards achievement because I think all schools do, but maybe a more relaxed environment and then then the child is not as susceptible to anxiety, especially if they have support people in their life, if they have someone who's a mentor figure, if they're exposed to sports and psychotherapy or other areas of support, that kid is much less likely to have anxiety that would be debilitating to them.
1: Yeah, so it's really super specific as to each each individual. I mean, who comes into your office, they must just, you really have to, have to get to know them and find out what's going on what's what what are the deeper issues arising
0: Exactly
1: You know I remember Natalie when I was in my 20s I went through a period where I had Anxiety attacks like those the heart palpitations and the sweating, and I thought I was having a heart attack like for a period of about i don 't know it was several months, I guess, and I was so disturbed i really I, I I had a lot going on I mean I had a new baby, and there were probably some hormones. In my system that were coming into play. My husband and I had also started a business and there was just a lot going on and, and it all kind of came down on me at one point and I went out to a bookstore <laughs> and I bought a book on meditation and that's when I first started falling in love with the idea of relaxation and meditation practices and it made a big difference. Have you experienced personally anxiety and have you had have you been able to achieve some some results with some self help efforts? And is that is that a good thing to talk about? Should we talk about that a little bit?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great thing to talk about. I have experienced some anxiety in my own life. Every now and then I get social anxiety, which most people would not expect, Mm -hmm. because I'm a very outgoing, extroverted person. But sometimes that social anxiety just sets in, and it just comes up out of nowhere, seemingly. And so what I do, I'm a huge meditator as well, huge proponent of that. I simply bring my awareness to my breath. And so as soon as I start noticing my breath, I don't even need to change it. It just starts to slow naturally. And as soon as I do that, it just recenters me. I kind of recalibrate. And it doesn't necessarily make the social anxiety go away per se, but I can handle it better. I'm more centered. I'm more calm. I can note the social anxiety and where I feel it in my body, but it doesn't take over my ability to speak and engage in conversation and feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I do. And I always recommend to my clients to engage in some type of self-care practice as they begin working with me. So if you start working with someone as their therapist, and you kind of throw all of these different options at them, it can be overwhelming. So instead of telling my clients in the first session, well, you should start doing yoga, and you should start meditating, and Mm -hmm. you should start eating better and do this, that, and the other, I just slowly start start making small suggestions or we'll even do it in a session where I'll show them how to take a full breath, I'll show them how to mindfully focus on one thing, and that just slowly begins to integrate into their lives. And then what ends up happening is that clients will actually come up with their own ways to self-soothe in ways that i couldn't even think of for them because maybe they love knitting or something and i never thought to recommend that they Mm. knit but let's say that brings them a lot of peace and calm they start coming up with their own coping skills
1: and that's what it's all about is really creating those lifelong uh, possibilities for calming and, and coming to stillness that's that's really awesome yeah, knitting is very popular nowadays, too. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where that out. came from. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, both of us talked about our episodes of of um, anxiety. I think a lot of people are very hesitant to talk about these things because they're sort of embarrassing. I mean, I didn't talk about it for a long time until I recently wrote a book, and I put it in there, so it's kind of out now. But I think it's more common than we think, would you say?
0: Oh absolutely. There's still as much as we're coming to more acceptance about mental health and mental illness in our in our world, there's still this hush hush taboo around it. And what I love is when I'm in conversation with people and I hear someone open up about having panic attacks mm-hmm. or feeling low sometimes or whatever it is that they're dealing with that makes me feel so hopeful for the future i hope that each generation progressively becomes more open about talking about mental health and mental illness because then once you release some of that stigma then some of the suffering actually goes away because if you're suffering from depression and then you're also suffering from the stigma of depression that's adding insult to injury but if you can be more open about it then you can connect with others who can say, oh, I've dealt with that too. And then you feel mirrored and supported in that way.
1: Yeah, and I think it also keeps people from getting the help that they need.
0: Oh, of course. I was just reading the other day how many hundreds and even thousands of Google searches there are for things like anxiety and depression. But if you really look at the numbers of how many people are in therapy, it's much lower than the amount of people who are searching for it. And of course, there are a lot of factors involved. But I think one of them is that there's this fear from perspective of the client of they're reaching out and they're curious about it, they're looking into it, they want help, but making that first step of actually getting into treatment, there's a lot of fear there.
1: Once they do it, I'm sure it's it's just like a big weight off their shoulders, right?
0: Right, but it's like jumping off that cliff, you know, uh into the water or something. Your fear is holding you back. But as soon as you do it, you get this rush and you're like, oh my God, that was so worth it.
1: (laughs) Totally. Does anxiety co occur with other issues?
0: typically depression and also physical physical ailments. So a lot of people, when they can't express their anxiety or depression verbally, will express it through their body. So I was explaining how this happens a lot with kids. It can also happen with adults too. And if you notice the trends of medications that are coming out, a lot of people are being prescribed muscle relaxers and painkillers for back problems and things like that. If you look at research about back health, you'll find that the more stressed and anxious people are the worse their back pain gets. So it's important for people to look into, okay, what's really causing these issues? Is it is it really something physical or is it something emotional? Because if it's something emotional, then you don't need to resort to medication. You can do some exploration, some self-help or working with a professional and find out what is it that's bothering me so maybe you can relieve some of those symptoms naturally.
1: Mm, yeah, that's huge. That's huge because there's so many things – available to us that are not prescription medicines, maybe you could talk about some of the problems of over-prescription of anxiety meds, because I'm sure there are many.
0: <laughs> there are tons. The The most important one to, to note is that prescription meds only help as long as you're taking them, and they don't help anymore as long as you're not taking them. So someone has to decide whether they want to be a lifelong user of a medication or not. And if the answer is no, it's okay to take meds if you absolutely need them. But I recommend that if people are to do that, that they take meds in addition to therapy so that the therapist can have a long-term treatment plan for them to eventually scale down off of that med if they can and continue with therapy until they don't need it anymore and then graduate them out so one thing to keep in mind is do I want to be a lifelong user of this substance
1: I know because who wants that (laughs) right life is long you don't want to be taking those drugs if you don't have to
0: Right, and we all know that when we watch a commercial for something, some type of med that comes out, you know, the list of side effects is usually longer than the commercial itself with the positives. And so people have to decide, are they willing to live with those side effects? And if not, they can look for alternative treatments.
1: Hmm. So we've talked about anxiety and it's it's more common than we think. I, I bet you there's a lot of celebrities that have come out with they have anxiety issues or anxiety conditions. I I'm thinking of Willard Scott. Apparently, he came out years ago and said, you know, the the guy who was on the Today show and announced all the the centenarians, he was he was really brave in coming out and saying that he had anxiety disorders and he would have panic attacks and I know there's a whole bunch. I just can't think of them now. Can you think of any of celebrities that have come out and said that they had anxiety issues?
0: Yeah, Emma Stone came out recently and said that she had panic attacks.
1: Emma Stone. Aw, that was great. I'm glad she yeah, did
0: that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge fan of, of celebrities who come out and talk about their the things that they suffer from because what it does is – People tend to have this view of celebrities as being these perfect human beings that we put on pedestals. They're so beautiful, they're so talented, all this stuff, and they are all of that. But when they start to humanize themselves and talk about what they suffer from, people can kind of exhale and be like, "Okay, even the people that I that I look up to and that I idolize in a way, they deal with this stuff too." It turns it; it becomes so much more human that way.
1: I agree. I have so much more respect for celebrities who are honest like that. Can we move on to depression and maybe give some for parents who might be listening or friends of someone they might suspect has an issue with depression? Can you talk about some of the symptoms to look for in young people?
0: Sure. So you'll see some of the same ones as anxiety where they might express it through their body as pains or aches. Also, you're going to see some withdrawal, so withdrawal from social circles. Kids will tend to still have a small group of friends even if they are depressed, but they won't be as active in larger social groups as they used to. You'll notice that they won't be performing as well in school the way they used to. They might become more irritable. So with adults and depression you typically see sad mood. And with kids and adolescents you see irritable mood. And a lot of these a lot of these symptoms of depression might sound like typical teenagerhood. Mm-hmm. It's it's when these symptoms become so prevalent that they're having a real impact on this child's ability to maintain friendships, maintain relationships with family members, and maintain active in school. Like if your kid is staying home many days of the week complaining of ailments that don't seem to have a physical cause, but really they're just trying to not go to school, that would be something to look out for.
1: Mm. You know, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that depression would be a little easier to diagnose than anxiety because there's so many other factors.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a bit easier because you might also see things like Mm self-harm. Self-harm is becoming so much more prevalent these days with teenagers. And that's something that you can obviously actually see on a child's wrists Mm -hmm. if that's where they're doing the self-harm. So it can be more visible than anxiety. Anxiety can be something that people can really suffer in silence about.
1: And then if you suspect that they're using drugs to self-medicate, obviously confront them and and see if you can get some outside help. And then if you suspect suicide, what do we do then as parents? (laughs) is to
0: not be afraid of the word. So a lot of people, and myself included, even as a therapist, it's so hard to talk about suicide. so hard to talk about someone that you love or even someone that you know taking their own life out of their own suffering. But like I said before, if we're too afraid to say these words as the adults, Mm -hmm. then imagine how fearful our kid or teen is going to be using these words. So we need to take ourselves and our families out of the silence of the possibility of talking about suicide. It needs to be something that we can address and talk about openly so that if the child does have thoughts of suicide, they can feel comfortable talking to us about it. And I think um, this is not, you know, to alarm parents or anything. It's just to be really open about it so that their kid can talk to them about it. And a lot of times when they're thinking about it, it's not because they actually want to do it. Thinking about suicide is a symptom of depression.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. If we're interested in finding a holistic psychotherapist as opposed to a conventional psychotherapist, somebody who might be less apt to put our kids right on on medical on prescription drugs. Um, how would we go about finding one?
0: That's a great question. I haven't been asked that one yet. Mm. So the biggest the two top resources for finding a local therapist are online. One of them is called psychology today. And the other one is called good therapy, PsychologyToday.com and GoodTherapy.com. com. Okay. And what you can do is you can you can filter the results of the therapists that come up in a various in various ways you can search by location you can search by what type of issue they specialize in what age group they work at uh, work with and you can also specify based on their treatment modality their treatment approach and so some of the ones that are related to someone being holistic would be somatic approach, which means that they take a mind-body approach to their work. Another one to look for would be mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. So mindfulness is all about becoming aware of the present moment. You could check off something like integrative psychotherapist, which means that they integrate various modalities, which integrative approach tends to be a holistic approach as well. Uh, you could also type in something like existential or humanistic. Those people tend to be more holistic. And what you really want to do is when you when you call therapists and talk to them in their consultation, just ask them what, what are your modalities, what what are your views on meds? Do you integrate alternative practices into your work? Just have a few questions that you're prepared to ask, and. You can get a sense from someone over the phone if if they resonate with your values or not.
1: Okay, okay. Do you have any examples or stories of of success of a young person that may have come into you and um, really worked their way through a period of anxiety and and got, got to the other side successfully?
0: I typically don't share specific clients' stories oh, no, over not, podcasts because they might no. listen, but but I can speak in generalities. So, yes. the the people who have the most success working with me are the young people who have parents who are really involved in their treatment. Okay. So, most therapists who work with kids and teens will spend the majority of the time with the kid or teen and very little time with the parent. I do it the complete opposite way. I spend as much time as possible with the parents, especially if it's a young teen or a child. If it's an older teen, I'll treat them more like a young adult and spend more time with them. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I approach my work this way is because the parent has a huge influence on that child, much greater influence than I will ever have on that child. And so the best outcomes that I get are when the parent is so ready, so willing, so able to support their kid through their anxiety. And especially when the parent is able to admit their own anxiety Mm -hmm. and start working on their own issues, that helps the kids tremendously.
1: Sure, and it becomes a family Issue, which when I've had people on the podcast and they've talked about substance abuse, they always talk about it as a family. uh, It's a family issue. It's it doesn't. It's not just about the one addict. It's about the whole family system, and it's so much more successful when everyone gets involved and takes a really hard look at themselves. So.
0: Exactly. That. The family is a system. And when you change one part, you change the whole thing. And so if if multiple parts are shifting at the same time, you can you can see more rapid growth.
1: Well, let's talk about you personally. <laughs> <'Cause> I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm just curious. Um, what's your favorite modality? What's your de-stressor that you your go to? If you've had a really rough day, what would be your de-stressor? Mine's kind of yoga. I mean, that's no big, big surprise to any of my listeners. But what is yours? <laughs>
0: (laughs) I have two yoga and hiking. I'm equally Mm. passionate about both. It really depends on what kind of mood I'm having. I find that with yoga, it can really help me at any time because I can't just go hiking at any time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I kind of have to plan
1: that. Yeah, but you live in California, so you can go hiking a lot more than we can on the East Coast in in the middle of winter.
0: (laughs) But not in the middle of the night. There's coyotes and cougars out there. Oh yeah. But (laughs) (laughs) yoga, I love because it's just a go-to that I can use at any time. I mean, I can just drop down and do some yoga at any moment if I'm at home and that's just my instant de-stress. And then hiking for me is such a de-stress because it helps me open up my eyes to a broader perspective literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Think about it, you're walking up a mountain. You you work hard to get up there. You get to the top and you just are looking down at everything and I just look down at Los Angeles and I see traffic and and chaos and I just imagine it being so loud down there and I'm at the top of this mountain and it's just quiet and serene and I just feel so great up there
1: Mm, that's great everything seems to make sense yes and the problems of the world are so much smaller from that exactly higher point. yeah 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 so if someone's listening to this podcast right now and they are suffering with anxiety or they're a parent of a child that's suffering with anxiety or depression, what is, what is a word of inspiration that you might pass on to them at this moment?
0: That you can absolutely get through this. I think that people tend to minimize their own strength and, because I think we live in kind of a disempowering world, but as soon as people start to get help and ask for help, they realize they're actually a lot stronger than they realized because the people around them give them encouragement and inspiration and support and they're able to get through this thing that seemed insurmountable at first and everything is a growing experience Mm -hmm. everything's an opportunity for
1: growth. Mm -hmm. So take that first step up that mountain and before you know it you'll be at the top looking down. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I love that we talked about that. Thank you so much Natalie. Can you give us all your information and I think you have a special... Uh, sort of link or gift that you're going to talk about too for our listeners
0: Absolutely. So if anyone wants to get in touch with me, they can reach me at my website, which you mentioned earlier. It's awakentheself.com. And I'm also going to have a freebie for your listeners about how to talk to kids about anxiety and depression, which you can find. It's a PDF that you can download and you can find it at awakentheself.com slash happy, healthy you.
1: Mm, I love it thank you so much for that that's going to be a great resource and I love the name of your website awakentheself.com. that's beautiful
0: thank you <laughs> thank thanks you so, so much, much for having me on your oh show. my gosh
1: I hope you'll come back we have so many great subjects that we can talk to you about so I hope you will come back I'll definitely be back all right thanks Natalie have a happy healthy day
0: you as well bye-bye